Welcome to Cast Dice. My name is Old Man Morin, and this is a podcast that explores the greater, the greater je ne sais quoi of uh, gaming these days. Now, uh, in the past couple of episodes, and by couple I mean <clears throat> six or seven, we've been talking about Bolt Action um, and some other games on the side. Um, in one of those episodes, I talked to Sam from the Down Order podcast. Now, that was a lot of fun, and it was just sort of a general uh, shoot-from-the-hip kind of conversation. But Sam's a guest that I've had on many times. Um, after that conversation, it occurred to me that there is a man that I've been talking about talking to on a podcast for literally years. Originally, he was going to be a guest on the original LRDG. Then he was going to be a guest on the Ghost Army podcast. Then he was going to be a, go- uh, a guest on the LRDG too. Well, it looks like we finally got him on for Cast Dice. Uh, you will definitely know this man's voice because he's podcasting uh, all over the place. And so I've heard him on Paint All the Minis. I've heard him on his own podcast, and I'm not going to say the name because it's going to give away who it is. Later this year, he's going to have his own book published about painting desert troops in World War II, kind of giving away who it is. He is an unbelievably prolific painter, which is really handy when one is uh, a professional painter, commission painter, and... This man has amazing tastes in comic books, uh, toy soldiers, and just everything that I love. So I am honored to welcome Andy Singleton, the man, the myth, the legend, to cast dice. Andy, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. It's good to be here at last. Oh, my God, <laughs> man. Should I go put the registry office now? <laughs> Dude, I'm just saying. I have literally, and it's amazing to actually, because I listen to your podcasts, and um, when I actually, by the way, it's the uh, a couple was it a few Brits and the hobby is that the official That's new it, title? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, when I listen to you guys, I mean, I listen to you, and I listen to you on Paint All the Minis, which is a fantastic mm. podcast. But you were a guest, and I always listen, and I, I do that podcasting thing that people tell me they do to me, which is like, oh yeah, oh, I want to talk. Oh yeah, I want to say what. Oh, I want to respond to you know and. <laughs> It's amazing to actually hear your voice and have you respond to me, which is amazing. So welcome, man. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you. It's all good. Oh, I've been dying with plague recently. I think it's just sweeping the area. Then we had snow and I think I had pneumonia and I was going to die. <laughs> so it's amazing to be alive on a sunny day. Uh, actually, it's not stupid o'clock in the morning at all. It's quite a sensible time. It's just I got to bed quite late last night, so it just feels like it. Yeah, man. Um, but no, it's good. It's all good. So I've got a massive pile of painting that I've hidden downstairs. We so don't even have to look at it whilst we're recording. Oh, the best kind oh, of work is the kind you don't have to look at right now. Oh, it is. It'd be all right as if it would be behind me. But I know at some point I'm going to turn around and I'm going to see it there. My heart's just going to sink. Yes. So it's had to go. <laughs> Well, I do have to apologize for two little things before we begin. And that's not apologizing to you, Andy. That's apologizing to our listeners. Um, Skype's a little funny tonight, and this is the best we're going to get it. And honestly, I've put off having Andy on as a guest for literally years. In fact, because I was sick, we postponed this episode by 24 hours. So there is a little bit of hiss in the background that I'm going to try and cut out in post-production. But if there is... Hopefully, it'll disappear shortly. I am very sorry. This is not something I would normally do. But for this episode, we're going to roll with it and see where we end up. Um, the other thing is, this is a little bit of a time machine. Um, 
I am currently traveling uh, to my homeland, the United States, and rather than hanging the proverbial gone fishing sign for podcasting, uh, Andy graciously came on for a bonus episode uh, for me to record on top of the usual weekly episode. Uh, And so I'm dropping this episode while I am in the air. So uh, from past Brad to all of you, welcome to Cast Dice. Uh, So Andy, 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 Andy. Clearly, you are all over the place. But for those who are not familiar, you are the man behind Volley Fire Painting Service. Now, I have used you before, and I'm about to use you again, and I'm a massive fan of your work. Um, Can you tell people a little bit about your commission painting service? Yeah, so I started, oh man, it's kind of nearly five years ago now. It's quite scary thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had a proper grown-up, serious fairly high stress job um and then one day i decided that just wasn't working for me so i kind of chucked my stuff in and left uh so i was down the job center thinking what am i going to do with myself now mm-hmm. and they had this uh it's called a new enterprise scheme so what they do is they'd set people up in, a, in their own business you turn up with business plan and they give you a little bit of support for you know, a couple of months mm-hmm. and then you're kind of left to it really so I was at the pub, as one likes to be. Yes. And my mate said, <laughs> and my mate goes, why don't you start painting? You're like, you've done it before for money. You know, it's how I earned my keep going through uni. Mm-hmm. I even got to keep most of my clothes on for that one, which is an added <laughs> bonus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so my mate comes up with this idea to start painting for money like professionally, like to actually get a legitimate business set up with it. So I go down there, I turn up with a business plan, putting my sort of business studies GCSE to good use. And you know, the person working in the job centre looks at me like I've you know, jumped out of a tree and started barking at her. <laughs> <laughs> people, um, well, people who but, don't know our hobby don't understand, man. They just don't. I don't. I mean, she, on the plus side, she was so baffled and confused by it, she just signed it off and let me crack on. <laughs> oh, Amazing. <laughs> Uh, which was actually really cool. Uh, I mean, to be fair, they did give me some good support as well. You know, they checked in, see how I was getting on, gave me some advice on, you know, the sensible side of it, like tax and registration, all that kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I started what about f- yeah about five years ago, uh, just as bolt action was kicking off as well. So at the time, I was listening to like a ridiculous podcast because the LRDG. Oh. Which, <laughs> Cringe. Pilots, I assume. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. To think this yeah. is a family <laughs> show now. Going back to the old episodes, you go, oh man, why? Oh, was it episode four that was a notorious one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't think I'm. A, I, being a family-friendly show, I don't think I can even tell you what we talked about. It was supposed to be about, I think, the Japanese book. Um, all I know is Dave drank enough to literally fall asleep, and then he <laughs> he woke up and because back then we recorded for like three and a half hours, and yeah. uh, I think he woke up in the last five minutes. And Lachlan actually made it to the end where he doffed his famous um, "believe in yourself and all your dreams can come true," uh, and then I think he literally passed out. Um, and it was just. I was like, what is this that I'm doing, this new hobby of mine? Uh, And who would have thought, years later, uh, what is it, five years later, I'm in the same boat you are. Who would have thunk? 
<laughs> Actually being vaguely professional about it now. It's quite scary, isn't it? Oh, God, do we have to say professional? Oh, yes. Well. Uh, you are, I'm not. Yeah. Let's lay Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Right on. So, okay, uh, yeah. so you started yeah. about the same time Bolt Action did. So that means that uh, I'm guessing a lot of your early commissions were World War II based. I know you said you painted in university, yeah. and having listened to you on other podcasts, I know that you did paint Games Workshop miniatures for a while as well. Um, mm. Is that sort of where, you, when you became a professional, though, um, what sort of made your bre- became your bread and butter, or does it sort of jump all over the place? Oh, man, when I started, like I said, it was when Bolt Action was kicking off. Uh, mm. The Perrys had just released their desert sets, the, the plastic figures. Oh, yeah. Where you get, like, the platoon in there. And you know, whilst I was still building up a client base, one of the main things I was doing was just buying as many boxes of those Desert Rats and Africa Corps figures as I could, uh, painting those and then selling them on eBay. So I think in about a six-month period, I painted about 14 boxes of those. It might oh be my more, God. actually. That's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. I, mean, not, I was doing my, those solely for eBay, but I'd get people coming back to me for more desert stuff. Uh. So... Uh, for about a year solid, I was just working on desert stuff, mostly just Perry boxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love their work, but I could never ever paint another one of those boxes for myself, I don't think. Oh my God, I was like, so Andy, how about you paint me some Africa core? <laughs> <sighs> I'll put you to the Perry metals because they're amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, they are. They're fantastic. I have the mm-hmm. uh, Perry metal Italians that I use for my Auto Sahariana. So oh, those good. Are awesome. So good. Mm. I've got. Well, I say a big, it's not big at all. It's a fairly small <laughs> Africa Corps army made up of the Perry, just the metals, that I took to the Cambridge Too Far tournament about two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, they look stunning. They're a real, real pleasure to work on as well because each one of them's got so much character. And since then, I've had a big box of their Falchimiga as well to work on. Uh, but I've painted two of those and... That was about as far as I got with the project. <laughs> now, but saying that, you've painted a lot of Falschmeager models. You mm, know more sad. about German uniforms than literally anyone else I know. Um, <laughs> now, that part of that is, and I'm sort of jumping around a little bit, is you used mm. to do um, historical reenacting, and one of the groups that mm. you joined um, was dressing up in um, German gear. Yeah. So you know yeah. everything about German uniforms, at least as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Um, so t- talk, to, talk to us a little bit about that, too, because I heard you talk about that on another podcast, and it was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I got into reenacting, I suppose, about 18. Might even be 17. No, I was 18 when I got into it. I started off doing the Polyonics. Mm. Uh, you know, that was fun, and it's quite exciting. I got to go to all these different battlefields across Europe and... I spent quite a lot of time at Waterloo at Hugemon Farm, especially, which was you know, your hairs on the back of the neck stand up at night when you're just walking around because of the atmosphere. We've got the camp in the in the orchard uh, within the walls, and then you just sort of stroll out into the woodland, and oh man, it's something else. Especially when it's got like the dust, the dust cuts sort of settling in, and you've got the the light coming through the trees, and oh yeah, it's incredible. But I so say I did that for. Uh, a long time, probably about 10 years or so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I gradually just started getting a bit bored of it because it's the same thing each time. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's fun, but I wanted something a bit different. And we'd keep doing these kind of multi-period events. There'd always be these Second World War 
groups up there. And it looked incredibly fun because they're riding around in Hannah Mags. Oh, yeah. Uh, wearing all the Gucci kit and playing with all the cool toys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have to spend their weekend sitting and shining brass and polishing weapons and yeah. cleaning, uh, cleaning belts and all the other nonsense we spent most of ours doing. Uh, so that was also a bit of an added incentive. So my friend and I, we initially started off doing some Here Pioneers mm-hmm. uh, from about 1944, and the eastern front was our rough setup. It was just the two of us doing it. We were mainly just doing it for fun. There's something a bit different to do. Yeah. Uh, but that was great because we'd sit up, we'd set up a machine gun position, and then we'd have you know, varying sizes of trenches that we'd sit and dig throughout the course of the event. Awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, which looked amazing because we'd be sitting there, we'd have all their pioneer kit chucked around, and we'd just be sitting there digging holes. Uh, and it was great; people loved it because it, it, that's all kind of visual nonsense. And most of the shows we did, they're in really cluggy, sandy soil. Oh, so perfect, if it's yeah. a hot day, it, yeah, it's a hot day. It'd bake solid. So we're sitting there with the pickaxes and smashing it with entrenching tools, which have gone incredibly blunt by this point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or vice versa, it'd be we'd be sitting there hacking through clay <laughs> just turning up like these sort of mud monsters by the end of it <laughs> oh mate well i can say that there's probably a caretaker or two out there <laughs> from these properties that don't like you very much <laughs> they loved it because they it, you know turned the story over for them so be quite pleased for the most part <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go right uh, on yeah so, uh, okay, from, from my days of collecting my German army when we were starting back, mm. when you and I first started talking, now correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, you've, you've gone fanging around, um, I know the Perrys talked about it when I had them on at one point, but you mm. also have actually ridden around in a bunch of World War II vehicles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so have you ridden in an SDK4, uh, sorry, SDKFZ 247? Am I making that up? You're not, it... It looks like a 247. It's actually built on a Dodge weapons carrier. Okay. Um, it was built for a bridge too far. Uh, I think it had a, a turret or something like that on it as well for the movie. Uh, but it's one of the first vehicles you see coming across the bridge. Yeah. And it gets hit by a pier or something. Uh, and then this guy I know owned it. Uh, I think he sold it now, actually. Uh, but that was great fun because... It was incredibly fast for well, it felt incredibly fast. It was probably doing about twenty, but when you're dangling off the back of it, hurtling through a Kent lane, yeah, you've exactly. got these very low trees, and you're quite tall. It suddenly becomes quite alarming. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. Like you, when you see these things on the tabletop, I'm always, you know, I play enough bolt action, and I'm sure maybe not the same because you've actually been around these vehicles enough. Um, you know, as a kid, I watched all these movies, and it, before I started playing bolt action, I watched tons of World War II movies. Then yeah. I actually started getting into bolt action, and I guess partially because, um, I don't know, around the same time I met my wife, and I haven't watched a whole lot of historical movies since. Um, yeah. You know, there's the occasional Fury and whatnot, but... Uh, I just love painting tanks and vehicles. Yeah. And then the other day, I you know happened to be watching a documentary while I was painting, and I'm never actually watching; I'm just listening. And I looked up, yeah. and there was um, you know a bunch of German recce vehicles, um, you know, mm. going over a hill. And I was like, God damn, those are fast! Like and <laughs> just to see them actually moving mm. was amazing. And I'm sure yeah. you know that's kind of embarrassing, and I probably shouldn't say that on a podcast about <laughs> World War II, but. <clears throat> 
uh, it was one of those fantastic moments. And for you to actually have been on one would have been even better, I'm sure. Oh, it was. Uh, <laughs> the story behind it was we were doing a, a private show at an airfield, which was pretty amazing in itself. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we found out that there was a 1940s weekend at one of the villages you know, relatively nearby. So we all bundled into the back of this 247 <laughs> <laughs> when it crashed it. <laughs> so we walked up, all debussed and stormed into this 40s weekend, had some lunch, jumped back into the wagon and came home again. <laughs> Amazing. And how many dirty looks did you get, I guess is my next question. I think it, was, it wasn't so much dirty looks, it was more what on earth is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of those things that you look, you know, occasionally when you see people reenacting. Um, uh, so I, I grew up and I've said this, um, fairly recently on a different podcast. I grew up in Massachusetts, uh, near Boston, uh, two towns over from Lexington, the Lexington green, um, oh, wow. where the first shot that was fired in the revolutionary war was, you know, fired. Um, yeah. and of course, as a kid, you get taken around, you see the church, um, where it was one if by land, two if by sea. Um, you see Paul Revere's ride. Like, you go through the whole thing. And growing up in Boston, you know, you see someone in period garb wearing the trihorn hat, and it's not a bit—you're yeah. like, okay, I get it. Um, mm. However, being in the British countryside and seeing some dudes <laughs> busting out, you know— in uh, in a German armored car wearing German gear, that might be a little more confronting. We have so many events down here; it's not particularly <laughs> okay. Well, that's different then. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's usually I wouldn't say one every weekend, but it's probably not far off it, especially in the summer. Um, we have some fairly big events down here too. Right on. Uh, and the forties weekends, especially, are quite popular because you know everyone turns up and dresses up in those. So, I and mean, the people at the show weren't particularly shocked. Uh, you know, there's already other vehicles and like up there anyway, and actors, so it wasn't a massive shock. It was more because this armored castle slamming <laughs> into the like, into the showground. <laughs> awesome. Um, and that was more when we we're traveling around the lanes because it was a surprisingly big vehicle as well, and these fairly narrow roads. So people would come around the corners and suddenly this armored car coming the other way. <laughs> well, yeah, having been down quite a few uh, small British lanes uh, near my <laughs> mother-in-law's house, I can tell you. We were in a very small sports car, and those yeah. lanes barely let something else by. And if a tractor came by, forget about it. And I can only mm -hmm. imagine you being in an actual an armored car, because those aren't exactly <laughs> narrow little guys either. Um, you know, you always think right. recce vehicles are small. It turns out mm. they're not. Not really. Um, Especially, you know, let's say it's built on a Dodge weapons carry, which is quite big. Really. Yeah, those are not small. There's a reason they no. call those things beeps, big jeeps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is my, one of my favorite Allied vehicles as well. Funnily enough, so it's doubly cool to get what the ride in two, sort of. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome! Right on. Okay, so let's go back to your painting. So you yeah. you started by painting a lot of World War II stuff, but having mm -hmm. followed you on Facebook, I see you painting all kinds mm. of stuff. Now you're also a big. Yeah. Um, comic guy like me um you grew mm. up reading a lot of comic books and like yeah. you love a good comic movie and all of this mm. and you've been painting a lot of superhero stuff now is that all yes. for work or is that for you personally or is a little bit of column <laughs> a a little bit of column b a little column a and column b I, I recently painted the gotham city siren set with harley quinn poison ivy catwoman from night models and that was for myself 
Nice. And because they, they just recently relaunched most of their range, and it's coming in a this new super high fidelity resin, and it's like some of the best stuff I've ever worked with. It's pretty fragile, but it's mind-blowingly well detailed. It it's it's like something else to work with. It's next level stuff. Uh, but most of the comic book stuff I'm doing is for work. Um, if I wasn't doing it for work, I'd be doing it for myself. So it's kind of scratching that itch for me. Right on. Uh, I've just recently painted Constantine again from the same range, uh, John Constantine, mm-hmm. who you might know from you know, the comics and the TV oh, yeah. show as well. And the, the figure looks uncannily like Matt Ryan, the actor. It does. Uh, who also looks uncannily like the guy from the books. <laughs> so working on this figure was an absolute pleasure. And so I got to try out some cool stuff on him, like object source lighting that I wouldn't normally do. Because uh, I, like, I have some fairly distinctive styles for each kind of genre that I work mm-hmm. on. So my comic book stuff is completely different to my historicals. Uh, so it's a nice change of pace to work on these things. Um, like I said, I've just done... Uh, Constantine, and uh, I had done some other stuff, but after that, I can't for the life of me think what it is now. Now, that's all right. So uh, I, I have a question <laughs> for you, because I know a lot of people who are listening to this um, are going to be very interested, and it, it might be out about the time that this goes to air. Um, Night Models will be doing its Harry Potter Kickstarter. Um, yes. Now, I'm fairly certain that they're going to be doing it in the same material or similar material as their new resin mm. stuff, not their old metal stuff. And I have a yeah. ton of their old metal stuff, and it's mm. phenomenal. But yeah. I can't, you're talking about how good the resin is. Uh, mm. So you would recommend it? Yeah, I mean, just to put it into context, I've got the old uh, the Batman vs Superman set that they brought out when the movie came out. Yeah, um, I've had it sitting around in metal. I've done a few for work, so I've just been sort of putting off doing mine. But they've recently released it in the new resin, and I have to admit, I'm looking to probably sell the metal set I've got and buy the resin one now. Yeah, as it's that much nicer. And I've got the Wonder Woman on the Warhorse figure as well, and she's built and fine. And she sat on my desk, and she looks incredible. The kind of detail's good. Mm. But I keep thinking, if she comes out in resin, and she probably will the moment I finish painting her, yep. I'm going to be gutted. <laughs> Murphy's Law, it's going to happen. Oh, you know it. But if I don't paint her, then it's never going to happen. So it's like, which do I do? <laughs> well, I think the correct answer is rip off the Band-Aid, get her done, and then get her again. So, yeah. Uh, I think so. I have actually started her. She's built, she's primed, she's got all her undercoats and free shading done with the airbrush. So it's literally just a case of blocking in the colours and finishing it off now. Nice. So it'll be a couple of evenings work. And it isn't outrageously good figure as well oh, i've seen pictures of it it is amazing so hold on have you played the night um superhero games because i know there's a second edition of batman or are you just <laughs> painting this nope okay that answers that question um no i'd love to uh, yeah i've got i've got a fair stack of figures for it i've got the old suicide squad starter set i've got some terrain mm-hmm. uh i've got an opponent uh, I haven't got the latest rule book yet, but uh, I'll grab that at some point. Yeah. Uh, I've had several opponents. Uh, I'm working on terrain for a friend who doesn't live particularly far away, who hosts some fairly big tournaments in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nice. I've got the entire infrastructure for the re- for the game to play it and have a really good experience with it. But I just have never, ever played it. Uh, it's been going on at me to come down and have a demo with him for 
well, since it came out, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. for some reason, it's just never been something I've actually played. Uh, you know, I like it. I like everything about it. But see, I, I played even a, read yeah. the I played a couple games of the first edition of Batman, and it played really <laughs> well. It was just mm. more than my little brain could comprehend while trying to finish yeah. my masters at the same time. And then they came mm. out with the second edition, and I was really excited. And I have, um, I have, a, I have multiple painted gangs, uh, yeah. and I'm really wanting to play it. I just, again, mm. I haven't had time. And between yeah. Bolt Action and Conflict 47 and all the mm. podcasting I'm doing around that at the moment and... Star Wars Legion's about to drop on us. I'm just going to go, yeah. yeah, I'll get to it. I, it I, I'm it. i interested in it. I have all the stuff. I just don't have the time. And it's just one of those things, like this podcast says, you literally just don't have time for it all. Yeah, that's exactly where I am. Everything about it appeals to me. Everything I've got from it has made me happy and I'm pleased with. Uh, but it just doesn't quite get into the gaming queue, really, because I'm doing so much work for Battle Group display games we've got a big display mm. we're doing for salute uh and then work and then i'm really enjoying doing games workshop stuff as well at the moment uh and then i'm doing some 15 mil ancients too so between all of that it just doesn't really get a chance to fit in especially i find i look at it i think oh, i only need to paint you know, three four five figures for it i can do that anytime and then never do yeah unfortunately yeah, I have that feeling about Malifaux as well. It's like, mm. oh, I only need like two more models. Uh, and I have this giant yeah. stack of models I can use. And I'm like, no, no, I just need a couple more. And, you know, I just never actually get around to painting those couple yeah. of models. Whereas I'm like, oh, for bolt action, I need this tank, this armored car, and, you know, 15 mm. guys, and I'll go work on those. And you just go, well. Yeah. But that's when, you, that's when you have an event. So um, I, I just had, um, I just, it, real life i've just had the event um operation wolf but as we're recording this i'm feverishly hammering away at terrain for it and the last time i painted this much terrain it was the first time i ever ran a bolt action tournament um and it was i had dano flying in it was the old lrdg guys and you know brian cook flew in from sydney and amp drove in from out of town and it was just us and I still needed four tables worth of terrain for that event. And I, I think I provided three of the four tables and I was feverishly hammering away at terrain. And I said, I'm never doing this again. Uh, <laughs> and then I had an event that sold out twice and I've had to bump yeah. it out. And all of a sudden I need more tables and I'm going, oh, for the <laughs> love of God, why am I painting more terrain? Um, I need to find someone who has some. So next time I don't have to do this. But uh, that said, yeah. Um, I'm loving because I just naturally wouldn't sit down to paint terrain for fun. But um, like I love putting it together. I love putting it on the table. I love a great table. But just sitting down to actually paint it is I'd rather paint something else. Tanks. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, How about you? you Kind of the same. Uh, About two, three weeks ago, we put on a demonstration game at a show down here called Mm. Beachhead. Mm. Uh, so we've got this little battle group demo team so what we do is every couple of months or so we'll go to a show and we'll put on a display game we'll do the best work we can to make something really spectacular so we'll generally pick a historical operation and then uh, jump onto Google Earth see how it looks uh, get some historical maps and try and get as close as we can sort of mm. within reason anyway and on a 6 by 4 
So I've just done uh, the Battle of Sidi Messia, which was in Tunisia in 1943. And it's just been the 75th anniversary of it. And it was a really cool project to do because uh, I was building these gun positions with, you know, ammunition crates scattered everywhere nice. uh, and just trying to recreate that kind of Tunisian scrubland. You, you think desert campaign, you think it's just sand everywhere. But no, this it's is not, more... is it? Yeah. No, not remotely. Uh, and this is all you know, low arid grass, bushes, shrubs, low walls. Mm-hmm. And, uh, cunningly, I can now use it for pretty much anywhere that might be a little bit hot. Which nice. was nothing to do with my initial motivation behind it at all, honestly. <laughs> See, that's that's uh, good planning. I like it. You know, multiple a multi-purpose terrain goes a long way. I know. I was well impressed. <laughs> nice. But yeah, uh, I haven't built any terrain. Oh god, I don't know. For myself, for years, mm. for about four years was the last time I did anything. Uh, I do a bit for work now and then, and I enjoy it. But it's a bit like you say. You put it off, don't you? You don't yeah. really want to do it. Nope. Because uh, it feels like you're detracting away from working on your models or anything else that you might want to do. Yeah. And it feels like you're almost wasting, well, for me anyway, it feels like I'm wasting a bit of time when I could have other stuff more urgently that I need to do. Amen to that. Um, hey, that reminds me. You were talking about work and painting, and I know you've been painting stuff for me. And speaking of yeah. German forces in World War II, let's bring this back to World War II, shall we? Um, not <laughs> that you just weren't there and I took us away from there sorry um <laughs> so you i i sent you a pile of miniatures uh maybe two years ago or a year and a half ago and you yep. painted them up for me um mm. i i gave you the sort of purview of battle of the bulgy wintry <laughs> germans and sent yep. you a mess of models from different companies wearing different uniforms um mm. and you painted them up for me um now, you know a lot about German uniforms. Given yeah. that, um, how did I go? Pretty good. I can't even remember what you sent, though. It was, like I said, it was a mix of everything, wasn't it? There was yeah. a load of Warlord and Artisan in there. There um, was Warlord, there was Artisan, there was Assault Group. Um, it tended yeah. to be late war stuff. Um, a lot of That's tunicky, right, yeah. uh, the, NRA, the, you know, the, the smocks on top. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a bunch of dudes not in smocks, you know, vaguely different varieties of helmets, a lot of different types of battle dress. Yeah. Um, and I was going for sort of that thrown together force that would be end of the mm-hmm. war. But I know that the German uniform changed a ton of times. Um, as yeah. someone who knows this far better than I do, um, <laughs> how would you, I, I don't know, if you were interested in making a force sort of later in the war um, yeah. when there would be a mess, is, hmm. do, you, do you have a way of going about that, as in in your own forces, or are you really specific about be staying true to one type of uniform? Uh, I'm, it's a good question, Matt. In fact, it's an amazing question. Uh, I, what I tend to do is I'll pick an operation, mm-hmm. uh, then I'll pick a unit that was in that operation, and then I'll try and find pictures of that unit. Mm. Uh, during that operation so one of my favorite ongoing projects is the Gross Deutschland division Mm. so my current plan ish 
uh, and it seems to be working surprisingly is <laughs> nice. I want to do Großdeutschland <laughs> from 1941 in Russia up until 1945 and then have different platoons from each period mm. so I've just finished the 1941 um so uh, this one, they're all in jack boots. They've all got you know, field grey uniforms. Uh, most of the helmets are in sort of the dark field grey. I've got a couple in sort of apple greens and a bit of variety in there, just yeah. just to make it a little bit more interesting. But most of it's they're, they're very uniform looking. Mm. Uh, but my next project is going to be the 1945 element because we play a lot of <laughs> we either play right at the start or right at the end. We just skip the bit in the middle for the most part. <laughs> right on. Whereas I play <laughs> uh, everything in the middle and go on. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the that's the cool one because you actually get to play with everything then. Uh, but I just get to either win or lose. We'll be on the winning side or the losing side for yeah. what we do. Uh, so my 1945 project is going to be. Uh, I'm aiming to do sort of. Let's say 1945, uh, so it narrows it down sort of when you're actually going to be playing or setting the game. Yeah, exactly. And for most of you know, the period of you know, the war in Europe at that stage, it, the weather was sort of cold and wintry and miserable. So most of the time you see people in like parkers, greatcoats, mm-hmm. foul weather gear. So what my initial plan is is to get as many figures as I can wearing sort of parkas and greatcoats. Nice. And then I'm going to mix a few in wearing possibly the 1944 pattern tunic, which was fairly similar to British battle dress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I can't find any of those, I won't be too upset. I'm not that fussed. Mm, nice. Uh, but most of it, again, if there's a figure I like wearing an earlier pattern uniform or jackboot, as opposed to the ankle boots, then I'll quite happily incorporate that. Uh, same with headgear as well. You've got the two different types of field cap that were worn. So the early war, the M38 pattern didn't have a peak. It was a bit like the US Army's garrison cap or that's uh, right. the that's right, traditional side caps, mm-hmm. uh, which disappeared fairly quickly as everyone realised you know, the M43, the baseball cap type thing, was vastly more comfortable and a much nicer piece of headgear to wear. So they're pretty ubiquitous by then. So most of my figures will be wearing those if they're not in a helmet. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I like to just get pictures of what was there because making it accurate and making it right is quite a big thing for me. Mm. Uh, and I like to capture that feel of what I'm aiming for. I don't particularly like doing something fairly generic. So when you come along and say, I want Battle of the Bulge, and you've got this fairly eclectic mix of stuff, uh, it works really well for something like a Volksgrenadier division. So when I was painting it, I, that's what I had in my head. Nice. So I went through, uh, I picked up pictures of various Volksgrenadier formations and went with the camouflages they were using. So you, you see quite a few in sort of splinter, small, uh, splinter parkers. Mm-hmm. Again, the great coats and uh, field grey walls. Um, there's not a huge amount of variation. You're not going to see people walking up in the tropical HBT uniforms in right. December. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, where I get off. Yeah. Uh, and again, you're not going to see them wearing SS kit as they weren't in the SS. Uh, they're not going to be wearing Luffy blues as they're not in the Luftwaffe. So it starts to narrow down fairly quickly of what you can and can't do. For yeah. reason, anyway. So um, uh, does that tie over to armaments as well, or is it just uniforms that you're messing around with? Do you do you try and keep your armaments fairly standard if you're looking at something like a like like a late 1944 1945 army where things sort of get because I know that 
when you're talking in other podcasts about early war in particular, mm. um, a lot of what you do involves, um, you know, making sure that you have the right weapons that squads mm. actually had. But as things become yeah. more ad hoc, are you still as strict about that? Yeah. You start getting some really weird stuff happening late war, especially when the Germans are getting pushed back you know, into their own territories. Uh, you see units getting to factories and being tooled up with vast amounts of sort of fairly heavy weaponry. Uh, or, or alternatively, they have nothing. Uh, I've just been reading a book on the Battle of Kustrin, and it talks about the the Volkssturm and the Volks yeah the Volkssturm units there. Uh, and even some of the here units being issued with you know, obsolete Italian weapons with no ammunition or Ooh. with the wrong calibre of ammunition. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and all sorts of random stuff like this. So it's it's quite easy to go off at a tangent and do the exception rather than the norm, I think, with this. I mean, what I like to do is I like to get the uh, the original table of organisation and equipment and mm. see what the platoon should have had in theory. Otherwise, you just end up going down a bit of a rabbit hole and coming up with all sorts of random stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like to just sort of stick to you know, rifles and machine guns as it's a lot easier to work with or to expand up and then maybe add some assault rifles if you want them or yeah. extra submachine guns rather than have everyone with an MP44 and a Panzerfaust. Uh, you know, invoking a you know an infrared sight, which looks amazing, but it's probably better off for something like Conflict Forty Seven. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, 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 most of my guys tend to have K ninety eights, and there's a few walking around with machine guns. Nice. Uh, I'm not too fast on the type of machine gun though either, particularly. That was my next question. And are you yeah. particularly <laughs> strict on which type of machine gun, or would you sort of figure that things would trickle through as they did? Yeah, and the MG34 never went out of service. No, it's still a very good weapon. So, yeah, I'm quite happy for my guys to still be working those. Uh, oh, nice. Also, I think it's finding a good machine gunner figure with an interesting pose. Yeah. I'd rather have that, and I'm not really too bothered about what he's actually carrying. Uh, yeah. So I've recently sent you um, another box of the Warlord Winter Germans um, that weren't nice. out when you painted the original lot. Uh, plus yeah. a mortar, which I never had with the original group, and another machine gun team. And so together, I'm hoping that um, by adding more rifles, um, a couple of machine gun teams and a mortar, I take the existing yeah. force that I have now, which is very version one of bolt action. It, mm. it sort of turns it, A, more historical, and B, yeah. uh, more interesting to play. Um, mm. Because I was thinking, hey, I have this lot of infantry. It's great. Um, yeah. I'll mix it up with the vehicles because I have a massive German motor pool. But then yeah. I started putting it on the table and went, I really miss having a medium order about now. Um, <laughs> I really do need an LMG uh, or, yeah. heaven forbid, an MMG because uh, I really do enjoy playing with them. Um, and not mm. to mention, after having played, because I hadn't played my Germans in a really long time. Um, outside of yep. my deck, which are fairly historical. But um, yep. going back and actually taking that army and putting it on the tabletop, uh, most mm. of my armies have a mortar. Most of my armies have a machine gun or two. Um, and mm. by I say machine gun, I mean an MMG. Um, and then yep. LMGs in the squads. And the stuff I sent you originally, 
I don't know what I was thinking when I sent it to you because it's like, <laughs> well, I, I got a lot of guys with rifles. There's some yeah. LM, you know, there's some assault rifles in there. There's some SMGs in there. And I think there's a Panzerfauster too. And I'm looking at this force going, what is this? <laughs> uh, See, I thought it was just stuff you were finishing off to add to an existing collection. I didn't think too much of it. <laughs> no. See, I'm big on stuff <laughs> matching. And so yeah. now I'm like, I can't paint to match Andy's style. Uh, Andy, <laughs> help. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting, isn't it, when you're putting a force together? I mean, I've just done it myself. Uh, I just finished an Opal Blitz for my Lost Deutschland collection. Mm. And so I mainly play Battle Group with it. Mm. So you've got a whole logistical element to the game, too. But I don't think I built it to cover that side, but I think I built it to transport something. Mm-hmm. But I've got no idea what I was thinking. I just built it and painted it with no real plan for what it was going to be. Because I'd like to either put a load of stowage in the back or like, some guys on patrol, depending on what my actual purpose for it was. But for life, I can't think what it was. So it's just kind of sat there whilst I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with it now. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely know that. At some point at the mm. end of last year, I painted a Hetzer and I painted a, oh God, I can't even think of, uh, a, a Penz Jagger of some kind. Um, yeah. And I put them on the table. I mean, they've never been played that I can think of. I look at <laughs> them and go, the hell did I paint these for? Um, mm-hmm. But man, they were fun to paint. And I'm looking at them yeah. going, now I need a Jag Panther instead of the mm. Panzer. That would be fun. <laughs> um, but again, it's just going to sit in my case. And I'm looking at it, but I'm thinking... There's the panther, there's the tiger, there's the... Uh, that's what I need. So, do oh. I need them? Maybe not. But are they fun to play? No, they do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Jagdpanther is one of my very favorite vehicles. Uh, it's just such a sexy bit of kit. I mean, it I've is. only used it once for gaming. Uh, it fired one shot, killed a Stalin, ran out of ammunition, and the crew went home. <laughs> so it's not got a particularly auspicious career. And it had just been sitting in the corner looking menacing for most of the game. And then it just sort of... Actually, no, killing a Stalin's pretty good. I was going to say that is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's just the way the crew was like, oh, I used the family that were going. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> like, oh, goody. So uh, it's a little no, bit like it's real history then. Yeah, uh, we were playing a 1945 game. Ah, there you and go. The whole game, it runs off a chip system. So whenever anything happens, you take a chip from the bag. Mm-hmm. And most of them uh, are numbered and they count against... Uh, your army's got a battle rating and mm-hmm. as you take casualties, you, you draw numbers and that sort of counts against it. And if you exceed it, then you lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of them are numbered. Uh, sorry, you've got things like airstrikes on, uh, mine strikes, confusion. Uh, and then in the set we were using, it's also got... Uh, an extra couple of you know, situations for that just apply against the Germans. So it's things like running out of fuel and running out of ammunition. Yeah. And my mate played that against me uh, with my brand new, lovely painted Jag Panther. Uh, oh, no. I still managed to win somehow. <laughs> nice. Well, it was clearly the Jag Panther doing what it needed to do, and then you know that it's that was fate saying, "Yeah, you win this game. You got to fire it. That's it." <laughs> Oh, no, it was the ninja Volksgrenadiers wandering around with the Panzerfaust, <laughs> hunting down T-34s through this trench system that did it. That was amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, hold on. Was um, cool. So was that battle group that you were playing then? It was, yeah. We were playing a Fall nice. of the Light game, uh, my friend Chris and I. 
Fantastic. So, yeah. hold on. So, you do play bolt action quite a lot, but you also play a I lot do, yeah. of battle... Um, uh, yeah, Battle Group. I almost said Battlefield <laughs> yeah. twice, and I'm like, that's not the name. It's been a long day. Uh, so, uh, clearly, Battle Group, and I, I talked to Sam about um, Chain of Command recently, and mm. I know that all three are different World War II rule sets. Now, besides yeah. the obvious of it being 20 millimeter instead of 25 to 28 millimeter, um, mm. what, are, what really makes um, Battle Group different from Bolt Action? Ah, uh, that's pretty amazing question actually uh, they're very very different games and aside from the fact that you know we share the same setting mm. they play quite differently uh, i mean bolt actions very much quite i wouldn't say i mean they're both accessible but bolt I mean, action's bolt an action, easy game to pick up though i mean it's, it's familiar isn't exactly. it exactly I, I think it's probably the biggest thing with it because it you can come into it from like most other relatively mainstream systems and it's a balanced it's mm -hmm. a simple recognizable game you know you, you've got you build your squads with your point systems you've it's got enough interesting bits and pieces to make it unique mm -hmm. uh, but again it's got the recognizable fairly standard mechanics for most popular games as well so it, i think it's a good gateway into second world war gaming as well because you can play it very historically if you want to, or you can do what you like with it too. You've got quite a lot of leeway in it. Agreed. Uh, which is great, I think. Uh, I, mean, I, I like playing bolt action about the 500 point level with about a platoon of regular infantry, mm -hmm. maybe a light vehicle. And for me, that's the sweet spot of it. It gives you a really fun game, relatively quick. Mm. Uh, but it's still got you know, some World War II flavor, and it's got quite an anarchic element too, which I like. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, but I find when you start going a little bit bigger, it tends to fall over, uh, especially once you start getting over about 1,500 points, or if you're starting to use quite a lot of stuff, it just it loses the momentum of the game. It just doesn't have that same atmosphere to it. Uh, I, mean, I don't think the mechanics support it as well anyway at that level, but... It's more the atmosphere. It just doesn't start feeling like a bigger action of the period then for me. Mm. So, and that's what I like about Battle Group. It's written to be a Second World War game rather than a fun game, if that makes sense. It does. And, it's, and it tends to be at a bigger scale. I mean, I know that we're talking about 20 millimeter, not 28. So the miniatures <laughs> are actually physically smaller. But what that mm. enables you is to put more dudes on the tabletop um, and it yep. not feel cramped. Am I right? Sort of. I mean, the okay. game is like, scalable. Well, fits with any scale. I, mean, I know people are playing 28 and 15 and 6 mil and any sizes. But it works. Uh, so you've got from squad level up to, I think it goes up, covers up to battalion level in the rules. Uh, it's got different levels of how many units you can activate in a turn. Mm. Uh, it's all done off the D6 system, but it's more uh, the game's designed to have the flavour of the war. So you've got uh, like a theatre book for each setting. So there's a, a Blitzkrieg book, a Barbarossa mm. book, Tobruk book, uh, Torches just coming out. Uh, then you've got Normandy and The Fall of the Reich. And each one of those has got the rules for playing that particular campaign. And it's got all the army lists in it. And each set of army lists is tailored for that operation. So it's not necessarily going to be completely balanced. So like Fall of the Reich, 
Uh, it's designed so that 90% of the games the Germans are probably going to lose. Uh, but you're going to lose it with style. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I actually really like playing it as the Germans because most of the games feel like a ridiculous last stand. <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, just because of the, just because of the way the system works and mm-hmm. this chip system, so you, you're probably not going to win, but you're going to have a hell of a fight as you're doing it, and it's going to be massively spectacular with all these like you've got a couple of platoons of volts grenadier and maybe some huge tank, and then you've got these waves of allies coming in as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, with different levels of motivation and all this random stuff kicking off during the game as well. So it feels like it should do when you're reading a history book without it bogging down and turning into a certain mind-numbingly dull you know, spreadsheet exercise from a 1970s-style board game as well. They've managed to keep it fun, but historical. But it doesn't fit into that kind of fun... Yeah. But no, it's obviously fun, but it doesn't fit, pick up into that sort of light tournamenty type play that you get with, say, bolt action exactly. uh, at cinema level. So, mm. yeah, a two hour evening game for bolt action, you're looking at what, three, four, five squads, uh, some machine guns. Yeah. Actually, probably not going to see machine guns, are you? Uh, hey. <laughs> maybe. Second <laughs> edition, <laughs> man. You're seeing them more often. Um, but yeah. Oh, this is true. Yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah, that sort of build up. So a couple of squads, vehicle, a couple of vehicles, mm-hmm. maybe some transports, um, and that'll take you what two hours to get through. Yeah, sort of ten, twelve order dice. Um, battle boot. You're probably looking at a fairly similar size force. So I mean, I tend to use platoon of infantry, platoon of vehicles, some scouts. Mm-hmm. So again, you've got about ten, maybe different things that you're actually interacting with mm. on your side. Uh, but it's just the way they actually interact throughout the game that varies so you've got much more of an emphasis on suppression uh, and morale than you do in bolt action mm. to an extent because you've got so many ways of sort of shifting pinning that it's not quite as crippling as it can be to have half your force pinned down yeah, uh, that makes especially sense. if you get lucky uh, so yeah I mean they're both I enjoy both of them they both kind of scratch a different itch as well totally yeah, they. I've I've heard really good things about it, and I keep yeah. meaning to look at it, but mm. uh, it's <laughs> it's on a very long short list. Um, sadly, because yeah. <laughs> um, there are just too many good games, and um, you know that's why I love having guys like you on, where I can go. So that game that you play that looks really good that I just yeah. don't have time to look at. Tell me about that. Um, so battle group you can play at in a variety of scales, um, mm. right? You don't you can play it in twenty eight, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not designed for any particular scale. I mean, weapon ranges are, I think they're slightly longer for the most part than bolt mm. action. Uh, rifle ranges, 30 inches, mm-hmm. machine guns are 40. Uh, so it's about the same in a lot of respects. And they're sort of fairly standard gaming ranges, I think. Nice. Um, I know it's, that... It's designed for on a 6x4, I think, more than anything else. Nice. Well, that always sort of feels like the right size table for me. Yeah. Um, I guess just having grown up with Games Workshop games, if it's not yeah. on a six by four, it feels weird. Um, I actually sat down at the at a Star Wars Legion table today yeah. and actually looked at it, and it looked wrong um, because oh, it's six by three. Yeah, it's a six by three, and but they cut a half a foot off on both sides because you yeah. need to put the unit cards down. 
Um, yeah. And so for every unit on the game, you put it, a card down, and then you need to put the additional add-on cards to it. So when you buy a unit, it has wow. five guys. <laughs> but then if you want a sixth guy, you buy a card that gives you a sixth guy. If you want to buy the special weapons guy you know, that has the stormtrooper that looks like it's carrying an MG42, then you buy a card for that guy. Um, and then wow. they might have grenades, so you buy another card. So you need to line up these <laughs> cards and it means, A, you never need to open a, a book. Um, you yeah. don't need a, a, a program to put your army list in, really, and print it out yeah. like Easy Army. It's just, it's all right there. And I love that, having played Malifaux. It's just, it's really nice yeah. just to have your little cards laid out and go, all right, this does this, this does this, this does this. On the other hand, until I've gotten my head around it, that can be mm. confronting as hell to be like, uh, so many cards, which one? And with the stormtroopers, it's like, well, I've got this squad that it's got six guys and this squad that's got five mm. guys. Wait, which one's which? And I know the game's going to resolve that. I figure they have the right chits yeah. for it. Fantasy Flight does it. But it's still looking yeah. at that table because they cut the six inches off on both sides for you to put the mm. cards down. It looks wrong to me. And the models are bigger. So my idea of that tabletop and what it should look like, it just, it just, my, you know, something in my head starts, the chip starts to tweak and I'm like, ah. but yeah. if I look at a game of, I went, I walked by a Warhammer 40,000 tournament the other day and there was <laughs> one tank, one giant half the board tank, um, yeah. and, uh, a Primark standing next to it. And I was going, yeah. okay, that's your army. Uh, that, yeah. I don't think that's for me. Um, and then no, I look at, but then I looked at a Flames of War game being played at the other end of the venue, and it was a tank car park, and it was, yeah. and there was literally just lines of tanks lined up, yeah. all pointing their guns in the same direction. And you go, mm. that doesn't look like a game to me either. Um, yeah. I like the game that you're describing, where you're mm. moving things around and it's tactical, and you're making decisions. Mm. Not to say that those games don't. Um, I'm not trying to be that guy. But yeah. I like the idea that you move things around, that you try and get out and achieve something, get an objective, um, yeah. you know. And it sounds like Battlegroup does that. And I love bolt mm. action for it. But it sounds like Battlegroup definitely does that as well. Would you say that's right? Oh, massively. I think that's what Battlegroup and bolt action do well, is they force you to go out and do stuff. Uh, and they don't let you form these ridiculous army lists either. In bolt, uh, Battlegroup, you generally have to take at least a platoon of infantry um, and that's nice got a rigid structure so you just buy the platoon from the army list and then you can add in a few extra bits and pieces to it but it's usually what three squads a command section and then you know, it breaks down depending on what nationality it is into how it actually operates right nice uh, yeah uh i mean you know bolt action is fairly similar in a way you've got your your hq and your two compulsory two troop choices mm-hmm. um so again, you have to at least invest partly into doing something that looks vaguely right. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair, when I play stuff like 40k as well, I tend to do a similar structure when I pick yeah. my armies. So yeah, I'm not particularly good at doing the whole kind of competitive meta list type thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with those, they, they just it feels right to have something that looks good on the table i think i mean I, i've yeah. i tried stuff like team yankee especially and that just didn't appeal to me because like i said it was a, a parking lot pretty much yeah uh, it, it, i mean we were playing on 
uh, an eight by six table, I think it is. And it just about looked okay there because we weren't too spread out. But we tried it on a six by four and everything was just sort of squashed in together and it just didn't work for us. Yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, agreed. That doesn't sound like it works for me either. Uh, And I would love to play the Vietnam version of Team Yankee slash Flames of War, but I'm afraid Mm. it's going to be a parking lot of infantry or a parking lot of uh, that just uh, of tanks or armored, you know, armored cars and that or um, transports. But that doesn't feel like Vietnam to me either. Um, No, no. I mean, I'd love to do Vietnam in something form on the tabletop, but. That just doesn't do it for me. I mean, there's one uh, from Peter Pig. Mm, yeah, yeah. Game. Well, uh, I can't for life me think what it's called now. Uh, but I was watching a demo of that at Salute last year. And that looked interesting. But I don't know if it'd have that much replayability to it either. I think it'd be one of those games that'd be fun a few times. And then I think you might run out of momentum with it. But I suppose that's true for any system in any way, really, depending on how you use it and what you do with it. Very uh, true. But, but I just, I'm still waiting, I think, for my Vietnam game to come along. Yeah. Unfortunately. There is a Vietnam, uh, bolt-action Vietnam group uh, mm. on Facebook that I love. Yep. I mean, people put their models on it. It's fantastic. Mm. They, they post pictures of their game. and It looks fantastic. Um, yeah. But then I look at it and I go, I just... How much would I play with this? And I wouldn't have an yeah. opponent. And I just... That said, I'm painting bolt-action scale G.I. Joe models in my free time. <laughs> um, and people say, when are you going to play with that? And I said, well, I'll find the, I'll find the time and I'll find a way. Um, yeah. And I suppose it, that's where my passion is. And if I was... And I'm also passionate about doing uh, Vietnam, you know, Vietnam forces at some point. Yeah. But um, I don't think th- that little switch in my head is flicked yet, if that makes sense. Yeah. It is for me, from the historical and the modeling side of it, that's all good to go. It's just the... the actually, what am I going to do with it once I've painted it side that's yeah. still waiting. Um, and there's a few that looked okay or that I thought that you could tweak or do your own version of, but... I'm too lazy to do that, really. Yeah, I hear you. To be blunt. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Um, as a man who likes comics and needs yeah. a good game system thrown at you, um, have you heard anything? I know Warlords coming out. They've they've got the 2000 AD um, yeah. license, and they're doing yeah. the um, they're doing. It, there's going to be a variety of parts to it, but they're starting with Strontium Dog. Um, are you yeah. excited about this? Uh, to an extent, I mean, Judge Dredd's always been my favourite. Dredd's uh, definitely coming to that game. Did I mention that? Yes. Well, they've had the license for the old Dread game for Mongoose, which right. was okay. But this is but, Warlord doing a Dread game, not War, not Warlord selling someone yeah. else's Dread game. And that's it's, yes. when Warlord does it. And Warlord does a great. Um, it's easy to get into a game, mm. one of their games, and they're fun to play. And there's usually yeah. enough depth that you can keep playing it and not get bored. And the second Definitely. that they said that, and I went, oh, 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 oh give me dread. <laughs> give me dread. <laughs> I, I, I just have visions of a box of plastic judges, and then I'll be an exceptionally happy man. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, uh, yes. I don't really care what else happens with, with the license. As, as long as that comes out. And I can build as many gangs of judges and Mega City One criminals. I'll be quite content. Yeah. Uh, 
but it, it is exciting. I mean, I I love Gates of Antares, so if they do something based off the rules for that for this 2000 AD license, that would be superb. That's what I'd love. That would be my kind of uh, wish list of it, especially if you could then play with different licenses or the different gangs, as it were, mm. against each other. Agreed. Uh, I and miss... I hope that's the way it works. Yeah, because that'd be cool, wouldn't it? You've yeah. got like a Vogue Trooper, uh, Vogue Trooper in Thank there. Thank you. Yeah. Jim Dogwell. That would be very, very cool. Versus some ABC Warriors. I mean, that yes. would be very <laughs> rad. Now, hold on, oh, hold on. I... Let's let's go back to Gates. Um, so yeah. you <laughs> actually had a really amazing experience, and you played Gates of Antares with Rick Priestley, a jerk. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's amazing. It was. Uh, I. Well, there's a group of four of us mm-hmm. uh, that were involved in the initial kind of development and run up to launch of the game. So we we're painting models, we were playing the game, we we're doing play testing, um, just generally involved with mm-hmm. it. Uh, Sort of generally helping out, and as a bit of a thank you, Warlord had us up to do some final play testing and a few other bits and pieces whilst we were there, build some terrain for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a thank you, they took us around to Rick's house for a game, and it's just it was like complete surprise. We just walk up there, and I'm like, oh, this is quite overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's to be in his sort of games shed which was probably bigger than my house. I was going to say, <laughs> I've heard about this game shed, and it's not a shed. No. Um, I honestly don't know how big the table was, but it's like people are disappearing off into the clouds in the distance <laughs> on the other side. Amazing. <laughs> no, it was, it was like instant game envy from the start to see this. Uh, but no, it was an amazing experience. So, do you remember the old deodorant tank from White Dwarf? Yes. Um, oh, back yeah. Back in about the 80s when Rogue Trader came out. I made well, two. Yeah, well, that was sitting on the shelf, like D1. It's like this holy relic sitting on the side. Um, We're just kind of, it's like the ultimate geek Nirvana, that. Um, We're just sort of sitting, what on earth (laughs) is happening in our day? (laughs) That is amazing. Like, just being in that situation where you're sitting there, and there's Rick Priestley, and you go, oh. Yeah. (laughs) With this like pre-release copy of the book as well, uh, still in all its ring binders, without you know, before it's actually even printed. Uh, oh. The chance that it was like one of the best gaming experiences of my life. That's amazing. by quite a long margin. Yeah. So hold on, and and, that, and so you just sat down and you guys played a big game of Gates. We did, yeah. Uh, there was there was a lot of us playing. I'm not sure how many. But, no, we had a huge amount on the table. Uh, we've done some really big games of that, actually. Mm. Um, but, no, this was one of the big ones. And I think we were playing on, I think it was about 12 foot area. It was 12 or 18 by 6. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was massive. We basically all walked up to our collections and just dumped it all on the table and off we went. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So, yeah. okay. You've played enough Gates then, so I can ask you about <laughs> Gates as well. While we're yeah. comparing Bolt Action to other games. Um, yeah. You you and I have talked in the past, and you've said that you almost prefer Gates to Bolt Action, um, World yeah. War II skin aside. Am I hmm. quoting you correctly on that? 
You are, yeah. I just like the way the mechanics in that work. It's all done, or mostly done off of a D10 system. Mm. Is that the big Um, difference, though, for you? I mean, what really makes it... Because I love Conflict 47, and I love Bolt Action. They're very different. They're similar, but they're different. Um, And, you know, I love them both. I I have two painted Mm. Gates armies. I have yet to play Gates. But when I read Mm. the rules, it really clicked with me. I just haven't had the chance to play it. So what is it about it besides the D10? Because there's a lot of great rules in that set. Yeah, it's just very different. I mean, it, it brings back a stat system for a start, which mm. obviously you don't get in bolt action, uh, which being sort of uh, an 80s, 90s gamer kid, it, mm-hmm. it's nice to have that. that. That was an instant sweet spot of nostalgia. Yeah. But the way the game works itself is, uh, on paper, it's... Well, at first glance, it looks quite similar to bolt action, but it's just the way the tactics work with it because mm. you're using much smaller units. You, you're typically using sort of five to seven men in a squad. That's right. Uh, and then you've got a lot more upgrades that you can add to them to improve their accuracy or their resilience. So you, you're not only working on what you need to improve your guys, it's what you need to do to counter your opponent as well. So you've got this deeper element of war gear equipment you're putting on this much wider variety of unit types as well so you've got you know support drones stuff that buffs you and de- or debuffs the enemy uh and it's all about finding sort of synergies between the types of troops that you've got uh it takes a couple of games for it to start clicking in uh, but once it does it's incredible and the, the faction i tend to play the saurians they are very much a stealth faction so once you've fired or you know, you've done whatever action you're going to do, uh, if they come and fire, you can still choose to do a down reaction, which works much like it does in bolt action. So you uh, suddenly become that much harder to hit. Uh, and it, it makes, gives them quite a, a sneaky gameplay because you're sort of flitting from cover to cover, putting down fire and going down, uh, you know, phasing back into this other play pain of existence Mm. Uh, it's just so different but so cool as well Uh, if you play bolt action it'll be very familiar but it's different yeah 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 so you've got things or like larger vehicles have the option to have two order dice for them for example so that's an extra dice in your dice bag that's cool so yeah, so your vehicle's got the chance that it can be firing twice or moving along a bit more than it would normally. Uh, yeah, it just plays... It's hard to describe, really. Yeah. Uh, because it is so different, but it's so similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't really make a great deal of sense to describe it until you've played it. Yeah, it's one of those things that I, when I describe Conflict 47 to people who play mm. Bolt Action, I say it's like Bolt yeah. Action, but this, 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 and this. And they're like, yeah. oh, that's weird. But it isn't until you actually sit down and you play it and you see the yeah. way that the game interacts with itself. Um, yeah. It's kind of like when game systems come out. I hate talking about the rules in independence, yeah. in isolation, mm. because it isn't the rules in isolation that create the game. It's how the game yeah. interacts with itself on the tabletop. Yeah. That's when the game comes to life. Um, mm. And that's why... I still haven't done a proper Gates of Antares podcast ever is yeah. because I still haven't played it. And I haven't yeah. like I've read it. I have a list. I have in the I have the outline of a podcast written t- about it. Mm. But until I play it, I'm not going to dare to actually put an opinion on it because yeah. 
it is similar enough that I think I know what I'm talking about, but I know yeah. it's different enough that that would be irresponsible to do. Yeah, that's one of the problems I had when I was learning, actually, was it was it's close enough to bolt action to pick up quickly, but it was very different as well. So there's quite often times when I'd be sort of mashing one game into the other. Yes. And it would all start getting very confusing very quickly. Uh, and I suspect Conflict 47 is probably the same because, I mean, that it's similar but different. It is. And there were a and few think... rules that I like in Conflict 47 better, and there's some rules in Bolt yeah. Action I like better. And when you mm. and then when you start to play, because I've been playing a ton of Conflict 47, and then I yeah. went to a Bolt Action event, there were a few times where I went to pick up dice and I picked up the wrong number. Because in yeah. Conflict 47, um, you you know, submachine guns give you the extra dice, um, yeah. but you get to re-roll them like you do in bolt action. So it was like, oh, God, I'm picking up too many dice for my guys to attack. <laughs> uh, wait, which game am I doing? Can someone help me out here? How many dice? And I'm playing this guy who, I mean, theoretically, I've been playing for years, and he's mm. been playing for a couple months, and he's looking at me like, don't you know this? And I'm like, just, just yeah. stop judging me. I'm old. I don't get it. Anyway. Oh, all the time, man. All the time. Yes. But I play so many games that it all kind of merges into one now. Um, but not even particularly similar games to ones I play. Uh, it's just they're all a bit of a mashup in my head now. So I'll be playing one game using the morale system from one thing and with the hit system from another. And it's just like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I just look like I've lost completely to anybody now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, I'm still having fun. Don't know what I'm playing, yeah. but I'm having fun doing it. I'm, you know, pushing I'm some toys. I'm having a great game. You're having a great game. We're just not having the same game, apparently. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Now, Andy, I would be a bad podcasting host if I didn't give you the opportunity to talk about you becoming an author. Um, you <laughs> Now, you, mate, you painted, as you said earlier, more desert stuff than I can imagine um, literally painting in my lifetime. Um, and I think that has made you singularly, um, it, it's made, it, it, look, it's the right project for you. I'm going to porky pig that and say it another way. So uh, why don't you tell us about your book that is coming out later in 2018? Yeah, so it's called Painting War Games Figures, World War II in the Desert, and it's going to be available through Pen and Sword Publishing. Nice. Uh, I don't have a release date at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, it's still got to go through all the editing and production process and all the other weird sorcery that they have to do these things with. Uh, but I guess... It should be available by the end of the year, maybe November, October, that sort of time. That's what I'm hearing at the moment, but whether it will, I don't know. Uh, I guess it take, depends how long it takes them to do all their production-y type stuff. But if you keep an eye on the Volifier page, then I'll be plugging it as soon as it's available to pre-order on Amazon, probably, uh, and shamelessly. And um, I will be sharing yeah, it I, um, I, through our podcasting page, um, so people can see man. it, because I'm buying it because I love desert yes. stuff. Now, hold on. <laughs> Let's talk about the contents. Are you doing one nation? Are you doing, is it tanks? Is it uniforms? Is it everything? Narrow this down because the Desert War mm. is massive. And how are you sort oh, of bringing it together? Well, what I decided to do, it took a little bit of thinking of what I actually direction I wanted to go in because the only brief I had was 
write us a book and make it about World War Two in the desert. So I'm like, okay. So okay, cheers for that. This. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> After much panic thinking, I decided to do uh, a guide for for someone from the complete novice up to someone who's got a certain amount of experience but wants to know more or wants some tricks for painting in bulk as well. Mm. So what I've done is I've broken the book down. So initially I've just got a, a brief introduction and then I go through uh, what tools you need, basic techniques, basic everything. So it's... From a complete newbie's standpoint, you know what individual tools do, what types of glue to use on mm-hmm. what type of material, how to prep that type of material, what types of primer to use, uh, what a wash is, what a glaze is, what dry brushing is, and how to do all of these things. Mm. So that's sort of the first part of the book is just putting down these kind of fundamentals. Because I thought my kind of logic was someone who's got a great deal of experience probably isn't going to be buying a book like this anyway um mm. or they're certainly not going to get as much out of it uh yet someone who's fairly new maybe just starting off in the hobbies decided they want to you know get a box of the perry figures for example mm-hmm. uh, now they want to know what to do with them now that they've got them so it's designed to be a kind of companion piece to to that person uh so then i've taken uh american british italian uh German and camouflage uniform, so with some Falschimiga in this instance. Nice. And then each one of those chapters is broken down into a really simple beginner's set of techniques. So for the British one, it's effectively uh, spraying it with some sand paint, picking out your details, doing some dry brushing, uh, and then calling it done. So I've got a step-by-step guide for each process on that. And then there's a kind of intermediate level, which is much the same as the one, uh, as the beginner's one, but with a few more things, you know, like putting some glazes on, putting some washes on, and just taking it to that next level. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I've got uh, an advanced level, which is, to again, the same figure. It's then using a set of techniques to make something that's a little bit more impressive and a little bit more spectacular. So you start to go into your layering techniques and building up colours that way. So then what I've done is I've done a different set of processes for each of the nationalities at each level. So the techniques I've used for, say, the British uh, beginners level will be different for the ones for the German, the Italian, um, the American ones. Nice. But then each of those sets of skills is then transferable to a different one if you want to use those colours, but matching with those techniques for mix and match between nationalities. So there's, what is there? There's four, 15 different tips and uh, step-by-step guides in there for each type of uniform and how to achieve it. But it's done in such a way, that, like I say, that it's transferable. And so it was quite overwhelming trying to come up with like 15 different techniques to paint effectively a figure wearing sand yeah that's a Um, bit much for me yeah Yeah, so i got about halfway through i was like oh no what do we do now so i'm gonna have to get the figures out and then spend a bit of time experimenting and seeing what worked and what didn't uh but my my intention was not so much to do individual show pieces as again it's not really the book for that it 
it's designed for use with batch painting. So each step is designed that by the time you're done with it on sort of six, seven, ten figures, uh, you're ready to go back to the first figure. So you can just work through them in a chain process. You just nice. follow the guide. And by the time you're done with the last one, you're ready to go on to the next step. But in theory. Uh, so Hold on. I'm hoping I, I think that's really interesting. Done. Hold on. I think that's mm. really interesting because a lot of the guides that I've read uh, are very mm. much on here's how to paint maybe like a master class um, model. And you end yeah. up looking at some people who paint beautiful models um, mm. and they ended up with maybe a tank and 10 guys. And yeah. you go, OK, that's <laughs> great. And they're way better than I'll ever paint. Mm. But I'm never going to play a game with that. Um, yeah. and I want to, I want to play a game. That's why I do this. Um, but by the same token, I want really pretty stuff on my tables and yeah. I think a good guide, I mean, workshop a long time ago did a couple of books that were really good for that kind of thing. And Dave Taylor mm. did a lot of work in them, um, to sort of teach you some, some trips, some tricks and some basics, um, that were great and helping me because especially since I was, I think his roommate at the time, um, yeah. that really helped me speed up my process. But I'll mm. admit, I don't think I've actually changed my process for some of those things since. Mm. So I think a good guide would go a long way. Yeah. I mean, well, I do so much stuff and such an eclectic mix of things. I've learned quite a, quite an extensive range of ways to get through projects quickly now mm. uh, and it's mainly a case of transferring some of that onto paper because it's it is a different set of skills i mean you've got you there's most of the like say most of the focus seems to be on doing a single absolutely breathtaking showpiece which is great uh from a modeling perspective but if you're a gamer and you're trying to get an army done yeah there's not so much out there for that uh and it's a very very different skill set as well it's that level of consistency to get something that looks good in fairly large numbers exactly um i mean it's all well and good for having you one breathtaking showpiece and it's nice to sit down and just paint something like that occasionally so I mean, one of the things i mentioned in this book is that like the intermediate level guide is a good one for the bulk of your army and then your centerpiece stuff you can go on to maybe the collector's level uh, the advanced level of the painting guide mm -hmm. for you officers your artillery pieces or whatever else you like really vehicle crews totally. uh, if you feel that way I mean, I, unfortunately i didn't have enough space to cover vehicles as well because that would just be another volume in itself yeah much. exactly it would <laughs> uh so this one is just figures it's uh, i've also got a section on basing as well a few different short basing tips good um because again you think desert you just think oh, i'll just glue some sand down but it doesn't actually work particularly well doing that it, it looks no. a little bit out of scale it does so it it's you know, paint it or put a wash over it or dry brush it or do something just to key it back in visually with your models exactly. just so it it all gels together again so no it was it was a challenge doing it uh, it's not a particularly long book i don't think it is i don't know how big what the page count's going to be but it felt like a massive odyssey to, under to do it <laughs> yeah well think about how many pictures you would have had to i mean let alone how many models you'd had to paint but how many pictures yeah. along the way you'd have to to take to go along with a guide like that 
Um, I can't imagine uh, that being a short book, given yeah. that you were well, talking about that many models. Well, there's 200 pictures in the book. Mm. And you think of those doing digital pictures, each picture is probably one out of maybe 10 that were rejected. So I probably took over 2,000 pictures, probably oh my more. God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did take a lot. Uh, I, I took quite a lot of scenic stuff as well for sort of batting on to the end of chapters. And then yeah. each of the guys has got like a, a front and back for the most part on each figure as well. So, yeah, it was a lot of stuff. Uh, I learned quite a lot about photography. Not as much as I think I need to, though. So uh, that's something I want to rectify for the next book. Nice. Uh, but, yeah, that is a, is a definite learning experience. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to do it again, but I've got to. So <laughs> hey, well, it's you're you're stretching, you're growing as a human being. Well, that will come out beautifully, though. I mean, it might come out a little bit after, but in the same ballpark as Warlord's um, next desert book. So for those people who yeah, get that book exciting. and really want to play, I think mm-hmm. that'll be hugely um, helpful. Not to mention yeah. with the next Conflict Forty Seven book, we're seeing. Um, you know, Italian forces, and I think that will just lead naturally to um, more people playing in Italy slash Africa. So I think, yeah, yeah I just think there's going to be a lot of great opportunities for painting desert forces. Oh, there's some of my desert stuff's in the new Bolt Action book. That's right, it is. Oh, is it the yeah. new book? Because I've seen, don't you have some stuff in the other desert book too? Am I making that up? I may be making uh, I don't that think up. so. Okay. Uh, I've got stuff in Conflict 47. That's what I'm thinking then. Because I know I've seen uh, your stuff somewhere recently. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just trying to think now. <laughs> no, I don't think there's any in any of the others okay. off the top of my head. Right on. Because I have to go and check now. <laughs> well, I know you also post pictures online all the time. And when I'm looking yeah, at the pictures yeah. of your stuff online, I then look at pictures in books and I see your stuff all mm. over the place. And then I get confused because I'm old. <laughs> I lose track as well. I know there's a lot of stuff on the Warlord site of mine, the various guides and bits of pieces that I've done. Yeah, there are. Um, and But uh, I really like that. I mean, a lot of the stuff that yeah. appears on some of the Warlord guides, and I'm not talking about yours, I'm talking about some of the other stuff that I've seen recently, and it's not a criticism um, because yeah. it's beautiful stuff, but there hmm. doesn't seem to be that level of um, going and explaining the process that you're describing hmm. in your book. And I'm really, I'm yeah. really happy to hear that that book is coming out. Um, I really liked, there's, what is it? Ah, I can't think of the name of the, there's like a magazine line. Is it Art of War? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the book ones, yeah. Yeah, and I have the German one of those. Um, yeah. And I love it. And I love looking at it. But I can't paint like that. Um, yeah. And so I look at it and I go, okay, I can, I can mine this idea and put that in mm. my German army. And I can take this mm. uniform thing and I can put it in there. And it gives me something to aspire to, but it doesn't yeah. really help me get there. Um, no. Well, which, I think a lot of these, they yeah. tend to either assume a certain level of experience or knowledge. Yeah. Or you, you, you're kind of left to learn it for yourself. Uh, there's not, which I think can be quite overwhelming or intimidating for someone new coming into the hobby, is that there isn't that bridge to go from nothing to getting started. Agreed. Um, that was quite important for me to cover that. Again, I, I think there's enough covering people that know what they're doing or there's enough support group in place for somebody who wants to expand to mm. sort of the top tier of work. But 
there's no real point in me covering it again uh, as it's exactly. been done done to death really um, again you can only paint sand so many ways <laughs> yeah no that's been fact <laughs> so hold on so what's this second book that you're doing then are you allowed to say what your second subject is or are we not focusing beyond the first one at this point uh, I assume I can I haven't been told I can't so. okay cool <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the next one's going to be on early Imperial Rome. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, well, they let me pick my subjects. So the desert one was a given. And then it was like, well, I like painting Romans. So here we go. Talk about a change uh, of um, a change of theater. Uh, that, that That's a big one. Uh, so yeah. that's fantastic. Um, I didn't mm. realize you were doing that. So, okay. So, okay. Mm. As as the pure layman, I look at one Roman soldier, and I know there's different variations of the uniform. I know there is. Yeah. And yet, I still think, oh, there's one type of Roman uniform. I mean, it just makes yeah. me a terrible person. So how are you <laughs> going to show that differentiation um, in the guide? Uh, well, it's not a huge amount in it from sort of that perspective, but this is your traditional legionary with the okay, segmented cool. armor that you mm-hmm. see in all the movies. Uh, um, the square shield. Mm-hmm. So I'll be looking at stuff like how to do shield designs, how to do shield decals, how to paint armor. Uh, so I'm going to use pretty much the same technique or same processes in the desert book, but I'm going to change it around slightly. So instead of picking uh, a different type of or a, a different nationality, I'll be picking a different part or a different type of equipment. So it'll be painting a horse, painting someone in uh, in clothes, cloth tunics or whatever, mm. uh, painting armour, painting skin, uh, painting, well, doing decal work on shields. And nice. That's roughly where I'm at at the moment. I'm fully doing mass batch painting as well, so a, a quick, simple system of getting a block of you know, 24 legionaries done. Uh, you look at most ancient games, you're looking at fairly high model counts. Yeah, so what you want to do. So I want to cover getting a unit done very quickly. Uh, so that's going to be quite a big thing, uh, but still keeping it looking good as well. Mm. So that'll be things like using spray cans and block painting and, and thin washes and glazes to bring colours out. So, yeah, it's still the early days on that one, yeah. I'm That's still sort of awesome. plotting out where I'm going to go with it. But it's, it's going to be more of the same, but slightly different. Uh, and it'll hopefully give me a kick to get my Romans done as well. Yeah, there you I'm, go. Well, I, yeah, that, got, that reminds me that I'm going to have to probably buy that book to figure out how to paint a horse, because I've got two horse-drawn yeah. limbers sitting in my case that I haven't even been primed <laughs> yet. Because I look at them going, I don't even know what color to prime you. And I know there's some yeah. great tutorials on how to paint a horse. But at the moment, <laughs> horses scare me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I put off doing them because they're usually quite well. They feel like they're a lot of work, even mm. though they're not really. But they just seem to be. It, it's quite a daunting thing is painting a horse for some reason. Uh, so I'm going to practice. I've got a few bits to do for myself. Uh, so I'm going to warm up on those, and then once I've worked out what I'm actually doing, uh, then I'll start thinking about writing it up. Uh, I've painted quite a few for work for various projects, but that's always just been going through the motion. I haven't really stretched myself on those yet mm. to actually see what can be achieved with it or uh, 
how much wiggle room there is in techniques on those in terms of sort of speed and capability. So uh, mm. I'll have a go and see what I come up with on that. Nice. There's bound to be something that I can improvise and improve on there. Well, that's it's really exciting because I know sometimes when you talk to, and I talk to a lot of really good painters um, yeah. quite a lot, and mm. I know this, the people get into habits and they, they, want, they don't often change things up. Um, mm. I know I talk a lot with Patch and Brian, for example, being you know around the BAA a lot and being around the Ghost Story yeah. podcast, and they're always changing the way they do it. They're always looking to mm. make their painting better, and they're always looking for their new styles. But... <laughs> I'm always amazed when I talk to other painters who are like, yeah, yeah. I just have my way and I do my thing. And that's kind of yeah. how I paint, which isn't really growing me very much. Um, but to hear you and to talk to those guys, I mean, literally yeah. I talked with them earlier about it today. Um, it's just, it's great to hear that people who are so talented are still improving. And I suppose yeah. from a growth mindset kind of standpoint, the reason you guys are able to get so good is because you are always improving. Yeah, I think the biggest part of it is getting out of your comfort zone and trying something different. Mm. Uh, I mean, that is the only way you're going to grow and develop any sort of new skills with it, uh, ultimately. Uh, no, I agree. I, mean, I, I read quite a lot of scale modeling magazines as well, which have their own sets of techniques mm. and ways of doing things and... I just quite like to go out and try new stuff as well. So I'll walk around the art shop and see if something jumps out at me. Like, I started off using artist oil washes quite a lot. Mm. And then I start, switched over and started using the modelling enamels for a few years, for, mm -hmm. especially on my vehicles. But I'm honestly not massively fond of those. I've kind of gone off them again now. So I've gone back to using the artist oils. Uh, but I've just shaken up my techniques a little bit with those. Uh, so I use them a lot thinner than I used to. So it's about 95% thinner uh, to just a little bit of pigment. Um, nice. You get a lot more control with it. And it's a lot a far subtler effect than I was getting before. But it looks far better as well. So it, it's just taking what I was doing before and then tweaking it slightly. Uh, and just playing around, really. Um, mm. The same with when I do figures as well. You know. I quite often I'll use a set of techniques for a while and I'll try something new and then I'll come back to something I was doing a few years ago uh, and then where my skills through something else that I've done have changed then it's a lot easier to come back and improve on what I was doing with that first set of techniques and then yeah. just sort of merge the two together so I, I don't think anyone should ever be afraid of trying something new or something different with their painting even if it does go horrifically wrong, then <laughs> you can either restart or it doesn't overly matter particularly. Well, it's like what they say, if you're a mortician, um, what's the worst thing that could happen at work? You bring someone back to life? <laughs> um, I mean, we're, we're not talking about, um, you know, it being the end of the world if something goes horribly yeah. wrong at work. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I paint toy soldiers for fun. I'm a primary school yeah. teacher by day. I don't want to even consider what could half go wrong at a, on a day of work, um, let yeah. alone if I get home and I'm painting, things go yeah. wrong. Meh, I put it down. Worst yeah. comes to worst, I strip it and start over, um, or yeah. I throw it away and get another one. I don't know. Um, I, I took it upon myself a couple of years ago to take um, some old models that I'd given up on slash had been given um, by friends who were moving away from Melbourne, 
And I really tried to get them tabletop. And I was yeah. astonished at how they came out because I, I just put that extra hard work into it and I figured mm. out how to how to make them look good. Um, but mm. I literally, they were throwaways. And by yeah. trying new stuff, as you say, I got better. Mm. So Definitely. Uh, and I, one of my favorite models that I've recently finished is a 40K Imperial Knight. Uh, I've wanted one for ages, and there's one in the model shop. It was mm. second-hand. It had been brutalized pretty Ooh. much by the previous owner. And there's bits missing. It was caked in inch-thick paint. Uh. Uh, it was not in a happy state, so I got it for not a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, and I sort of bought it back. I stripped it down and repainted it. But I thought, I want to do something special on this. So I decided to go out of my comfort zone and do a lot of masking and uh, stencil work with airbrushing. Awesome. So I've got, so I was talking to my friend Piers. <laughs> I was like, should I do checks or hazard stripes on it? And he said, some replies with both. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> At which Thank point you, you said, thanks. Thank you very much. Um, I didn't. <laughs> I might <laughs> have called him some words. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought, you know what, that's actually a really good idea. So I went through it. Uh, so there's yellow and black stripes, and then there's white checks on it as well, uh, all done with sort of varying stencil sets. But the stencil set I was using was quite narrow for the checks, and it's trying to cover these fairly broad patches of it on sort of compound curves as well. So it's trying to get this all to line up was Ooh. hugely stressful, <laughs> and then airbrushing it so that the paint doesn't leak or bleed through. Uh, but it worked <laughs> somehow. Uh, it came off really really well and it was just that leap of faith really to see if i could do it if it would work and it did luckily but you know if it didn't work then so what really yeah yeah no the um i had a german panther that was left by a french friend who moved back to uh paris that he'd been trying different painting techniques on including you know lord knows what he did to this tank but it was a part of it was furry like it was, it was, <laughs> there was, it was like the old, like, for those of you who are my age, there was a beast man character from He-Man. Um, and then they had like Moss Man, like 20, like, I don't know, five years after that, <laughs> which was the beast man model with Moss stuck to it. Um, but it wasn't Moss. It was like, uh, it was like a synthetic, uh, fun fur kind of, or not fun fur. It was, it was like flock. Um, yeah. And like static grass, I think that's what it was. And, you know, I look at this and I'm like, how, why is that on this tank? Um, and I was just looking at this going, this is awful. So um, I didn't strip it um, because I was afraid to strip plastics. So yeah. I literally got out a hobby knife and I very carefully scraped most of the paint off of a full size panther um, because I'm dumb. And um, in the end, yeah. it is. I spent so long on that stupid tank. Um, It is one of the best painted models I own, though, because I've spent so much time on it, and I love the damn thing. Um, And unlike your uh, Yag Panther, um, I've used it in quite a few games now, and because I've got this, I don't know, this confidence with the damn thing, um, it bullies people around the board, and people are like, back back (laughs) at the end of version one, beginning of version two, Oh, Panthers aren't point efficient. They're not good. And I was like, I don't care. Take my Panther to the face, buddy. And um, it was just (laughs) smashing through people's forces. And they're like, Panthers can't do that. I was like, I just did. 
deal with it. <laughs> um, and it was just fun, man. Um, but I think yeah. I, once you feel good about your models um, and you mm. have that connection with them, um, they're just better to put on the tabletop. Yeah, there's definitely a psychological thing to it, isn't there? I mean, I've, I've got some American Willis Dukes that I've had sat on my desk for, I've no idea, ages. It's probably come up to about a year now, nearly. Mm-hmm. I've had, uh, I just can't get motivated to paint them. Uh, it's just something, you know, they've got yeah. really nice crews because they're really nice detailed tubes, but I just can't be bothered to paint them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, other stuff that I've been enthused about, it's done, it's been on the table, it's performed well, and I've really enjoyed using it. Uh, it's like my uh, Tunisia Tiger. Oh, that it's, thing's gorgeous. Yeah, it's a 70-second scale kit. That uh, <laughs> It was originally going to be a Ravel model, but the tracks in it were terrible and didn't fit. So mm. I built it up to the point of putting the tracks on, and then the tracks didn't work. So oh. I could have just taken the tracks off of one of my other kits and mm-hmm. just put those on it, and that would have been the end of it. But as I was looking at it and comparing it with the kit I was going to take the tracks from, I realised that the kit with the tracks in it had some bits in it that were nicer than this Ravel kit and vice versa. So I ended up just cobbling the two together. Um, most of it was built on this new vehicle. Um, and then I ended up getting a cast metal gun barrel for it as well. So there's what, at least two complete kits that have gone into building this one Tiger and then the aftermarket as well. And then where you've got the air filters on the back, I've used both kits like the hoses from one and the filters from the other, so they don't actually match up together. Yeah. So then had to sort of green stuff in yeah. the hoses at the join to make it all fit in. Uh, there's no need whatsoever to build this kit the way I did, because no. I could have just <laughs> built the other one straight from the box and binned the Ravel one. Yeah. I think individually they're both about £9 each. They weren't even expensive. Yeah. <laughs> there's just this like, case of bloody-mindedness kit in, hit in that... This is the tiger I want. Yeah. So I'm going to do it. But I don't care how much effort it takes. Uh, but I'm glad I did, though. It came out nicely in the end. And it, it's exactly what I wanted. So it, it was worth it. Um, it. It's only been out in the game once so far. And it took out two Churchills uh, and some other stuff. And it was just sort of stomping things <laughs> constantly. Uh, it performed brilliantly. I think, like I say, because there's that confidence to do something with it and get it on the table and get it doing as much as you can exactly because you have that extra set of expectations for it as well that it will do well well you've lavished it with love you expect a return i suppose uh, it, yeah. it can do nothing else now for the rest of its career and i'll be quite happy <laughs> <laughs> right on well it looks pretty doing what it does and that's all that matters mm. Right on. It does. It sits on my desk now next to a, a late production one, which is quite pleasant. That is. All right. Now, um, I'm actually coming, sadly, towards the end of um, when uh, we actually need to call it a day today, which is a bummer because I could probably talk to you for the next <laughs> yeah. all, well, all night my time and your day your time. Uh, but let's, oh, <laughs> let, let's talk about your podcast um, because you started out, you guys um, were one thing and you've changed. And now it's yeah. um, a few Brits and the hobby. And right. I love the format of your cast. I love the topics yeah. you guys do. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, tell us a little bit about what you guys do, because it is a, it's different from what a lot of podcasts bring to the table. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan. So go through it. Yeah. So we started 
fact, you have no idea how long ago we started. I think it was about two years ago yeah. as the Brit the Yank and the Hobby. Mm. Uh, so we did that for probably about 18 months. And then the Yank, uh, Rob, he decided to go off and do his own project. Mm. So we had to have a rename as we didn't have any Americans. <laughs> so it didn't quite work as much as it did before. Uh, so we renamed ourselves as A Few Brits and the Hobby. Uh, we brought in a new crew member, uh, Piers Brand. Uh, it was myself, Piers, and Carl, mm-hmm. and our friend the Stug as well, who we have building timed kit challenges now. <laughs> that's awesome, by the uh, way. I love that. Tell yeah. people about that because that's one of my favorite bits in your podcast. Yeah. Well, the show's split into two halves now. We used to have one about two and a half, three hour episode, but we've split it so that we have about an hour long episode covering. Uh, just history of a particular operation and then we have a, a hobby episode which is about an hour and in the hobby section we talk about what we've been up to what projects we're working on uh, how we do something related to the historical operation on a budget and where we would get the bits from uh, so we recently did the pegasus bridge landings and talked about how to put a paratrooper force together in 15 20 and 28 mil for mm-hmm. i think 50 pounds and then we covered the german side of it as well uh, but what we also do is we have our reasonably priced kit challenge. So we'll have the Stug, he'll go off, he'll build the kit, and then he'll tell us how long it took him to make it and how long or how he found building it as well. So the last one he did was the 172 20mm uh, PSC gun carrier, which is the same kit as Wall would do. But the Wall one's obviously 28mm that's been scaled up. Yeah. And I think it took him about 30, 35 minutes to do. Uh, he gave us a little brief rundown of it. I don't know what we've got him doing next. I can't remember. Oh, I think awesome. we're trying to find something really difficult and unpleasant for him to do so we can laugh at him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, so what we like to do, we like to talk about now or so about the history of an operation. So we'll cover who was there, what they did, what happened. So uh, our last, I can't actually remember what our last episode was. <laughs> you know, operation how the time just sort of jumps around. Yes, thank you. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Hey, it's like I did my homework. Hey. That's one of us did. Yes, the last one was Operation Torch. And then the next one we're going to be doing is an interview with the author of Battle Group uh, about uh, about his rules writing process mm-hmm. and what he's working on outside of that as well. So that's with uh, Warwick Kinraid, who, who wrote the original Bolt Action Armies of Germany book. Yes, he did. And yes, he did done a selection of stuff with workshop as well i was gonna uh, say he did a lot things. with um forge world originally didn't he yeah 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 yep. he, i think he wrote most of it didn't he he did well certainly the early books yeah the early books yeah, yeah. um and then yeah. the later author oh god I, i'm blanking on his name but he passed away recently uh, i can't believe i'm uh, forgetting um anyway yeah mm. but yeah warwick wrote all the original um imperial armor stuff uh, yeah and so that's how i knew him from that, yeah. and I mean, he was in White Dwarf for quite a while too. So, mm. yeah, he's done a huge amount of stuff. When you sort of start looking back through his back catalogue, there's a lot there. Oh yeah, uh, but he's recently done a game I really fancy playing about the Crusades. Really, uh, I didn't know Soldiers that. God. Yeah, what's it called? Yeah, uh, uh, Soldiers of God, I think. I can't mm. actually remember now. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, no, Soldiers of God, and it looks really good fun. Um, I quite fancy giving that a go, mm. but then it's jumping into another period, and I'm not sure I can quite justify that. Yeah, there uh, is that. Mm. Yeah, 
But I do have some Crusaders from Saga, so... Hmm. And they're painted. Yeah, I keep hearing that uh, Saga's going to start including Japanese models, and I keep going, mm. oh, really? Um, because <laughs> yes. everyone tells me how good Saga is, but um, yeah. as soon as you start talking Samurai, I mean, I have Test of Honor, and it's a great game, yeah. and I'm looking forward mm. to playing more of it. Again, time. Um, yeah. But you go, I have a ton of friends that play Saga who are always saying, well, let's play Saga. And I go, well, you know, I've mm. got other things. Um, mm. Hey, I can play my samurai, and you can play your saga, and we can play together. Hey, that sounds like a yeah. good idea. So it um, does. Yeah, I quite, I quite like all the different matchups you get through saga as well. It's completely ahistorical, but it's quite fun too. I've only played a few games of it, but I did like it. Yeah, yeah, I have yet to play yeah, it. I'm yeah. looking forward to doing it soon. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah, podcast. Yes, yes. So, yeah, Sorry. we do. We aim to do sort of fortnightly ish releases. Uh, so we'll do, like I said, we'll do the historical episode one week, then we'll do the hobby one the next week, and then we just keep alternate it um, mm. sort of back and forwards, and then occasionally we'll get a guest on and talk about something unrelated to either of those. Right. <laughs> uh, it's like uh, my friend Simon is a multi-award-winning historian uh, covering the Roman Empire. So it's one of my favourite subjects as well. Uh, when the guys aren't looking, I try and get you know Simon on to talk about something. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you if you know someone who knows something, it's usually a great idea to uh, to have them on to to talk about it. Um, so one of the things I think that you are underselling is in your hobby episodes. Um, one of the hmm. things that I love is you don't just stick to. I know you guys do talk battle group occasionally. Yeah. Um, but you don't just do twenty mil. You guys talk no. 25 or 28 mil, um, whichever you mm. want to call the, the bolt action scale. Um, you guys yeah. talk 20 mil, you talk 15, mm. occasionally you even talk 6 mil. And you talk yeah. about good manufacturers for, the, mm. for the, the armies that were involved in the campaigns. But you do it in a really yeah. fun and engaging way. And it, you know, when I, whenever you guys do it, I have my phone out and I'm Google searching different com- companies and I'm, I'm pausing the episodes and I'm looking at the models and then I, I play, play again because I want to see yeah. them, even in the, in the scales that I'm not necessarily hmm. ever going to paint. Um, because some of those companies make stuff that isn't yeah. out in my scale. And I go, oh, can I kit bash that? How does that yeah. work? That's cool. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's a great way to start going down a rabbit hole. Um, mm. Yeah. Oh man, this thing's cost me so much money. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. When we're doing our research into it, it's like we'll go off and we'll start looking into things. Uh, it's like these are really, really cool. I want to paint them. I mean, this is how I got into twenty mil to start with, because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we did a few bits and I bought. Uh, just a couple of the Plastic Soldier Company kits, which were familiar because most of them were like the Warlord kits. Mm-hmm. I thought, I really enjoyed them. They, they look nice on the table. I wonder what else is out there. Uh, and then I was sort of looking around, and you've got like the AB figures, and mm-hmm. they're, they're incredible. And then I discovered SHQ, who uh one of the, the old British Rangers. And they've been around. I, I'm sure someone from them used to come to my model club with a, a display case when I was about 10 or 12. So oh, nice. I got onto their website and had this massive nostalgia hit and then a massive bill on my bank account where yep. I just bought an SS army in metal. <laughs> oh, oh man, it looks so good as well. Oh yeah, it would. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
but then I was sort of back deep into the rabbit hole. It just started escalating and escalating. Mm-hmm. So now I just assume I'm going to end up buying at least a book when we start looking at new projects. I mean, one thing that we're quite excited about covering would be Napoleon in Egypt uh, and his campaign out there. So I bought a book, which was amazing. Uh, it's called... I've got to give it a plug because it's that good in case people want to go and buy it. Nice. It's The French Army of the Orient, 1798-1801 by Yves Martin. And it's, what he's done is he's gone back to the French archives and he's dug out original like cloth samples from back when the uniforms were being procured. Uh, and he's got colour plates of those, those uniforms uh, matched to this uh, fabric swatches that he's discovered. Uh, it's like the ultimate war gamers resource. Oh. So the problem is because we're all gamers and we all like different scales and different mm-hmm. projects. And there's so many nice ranges that we can't settle on what size we're going to do it in because uh, we'd <laughs> like to put it on as a demo game at some stage. Yeah. Uh, but there is just such incredible stuff. But it, it's again, it's one thing we'll cover when we t- cover it in the show is all the different ranges out there and the different sizes because uh, people like different stuff. I mean, uh, we all like 20 mil, but well, with us, but we also like 28 mil and we like 6 mil. And mm-hmm. 15 mil is also really good for these especially sort of black ancients and the black powder era. And the ranges now uh, are so, so good that they're almost indistinguishable from you know, larger scale models, or especially compared to sort of larger scale models from a few years ago. Yeah, they're really uh, good. I keep looking at some of these yeah. models going, that's what scale? What? Yeah. Oh, give me a break. And I look oh, at them going, up. I don't know if I have the eyesight for that. But it's, it's <laughs> yeah. about having the, the tips and the tricks to paint them. Yeah, and it's like I categorically stated for years that I can't stand 15 mil. Um, and then I discovered, uh, well, Fred, uh, Simon actually introduced me to an ancients game, and I really enjoyed it, called Waterman Glorium. Mm-hmm. And I was using his stuff, and I was thinking, I quite fancy getting something of my own. So I, I just went into the model shop, and they'd got this big rack of War and Empire figures mm-hmm. from Westwind. And I was looking at them, and like, these are insanely good. So I bought a Spartan army, mm-hmm. painted a few of those. I thought, these look really, really cool. I'd really like to do some moments. So I then got a, uh, was at a show the following week. So I ended up with a carrier bag full of 15mm moments and a villa. Because oh. <laughs> uh, I've got plans for this. I want to get a, a mosaic down on the floor. I'm going to print off some pictures and you know, paste it down. And I think it'll look astonishingly pretty. Yeah. Uh, I just but don't want to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they've, War and Empire have had this recent Kickstarter for 15mm Vikings, uh, all sorts of Dark Age stuff. So I, I've got my heart set on some Arthurians and some Vikings as cool. I plan to do a large snowy battle. Uh, I'd love to do it at the York War Games show next year in February, I think it is. Uh, you know, it's a Viking city, so to have a Viking-themed game up there in the snow would be amazing. Definitely. Uh, so to that end, I've gone in quite hard on the Kickstarter, but I've also gone in for some terrain. So I'm getting a long boat and the village as well. Uh, and the village was like fourteen pounds in the Kickstarter for like six buildings. It was unreal. Uh, but again, it, awesome. it's just yeah. But the figures themselves, they look as good as a lot of especially the older sort of 28 mil ranges mm. uh, they're astonishing they've been putting up videos of the figures getting sculpted and 
No, it's mind-blowing. So I think that's why we like to cover lots of different stuff because mm. it it leads you down other paths to stuff that you might not necessarily think about. Uh, and it just opens up your gaming as well because you, if you get stuck on just doing, say, 28 mil, which I think is quite easy to do because there's so much out there, that you tend to forget that there's other things available. And especially now, a lot of the new stuff in these other sizes is incredible. Uh, and I've been working some of the Battlefront plastic vehicles for Flames of War, mm-hmm. and those are really good. Yeah, uh, they're surprising. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially, uh, what was the one? Jagdpanther. That impressed me quite a bit. And the Sherman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the M4A3 was really good. So I'm still not going to do World War Two in 15 mil, but they are nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's, I keep looking at those little models going, but I could have all those tanks, and they're really not as expensive. And. I'm not yeah. still playing that game. I do still have <laughs> the bee in my bonnet to see if I can acquire a pile of um, 15 mil tanks um, yeah. because I have enough Flames of War terrain that I use for bolt <laughs> action um, because it kind of works. Like I have an entire set of Flames of War bocage because yeah. it's actually big enough that it actually works as small bocage for bolt <laughs> action. Um, yeah. And I would love to play... I'm going to get some people throwing shoes at me for the saying this, but um, (laughs) playing bolt action tank wars using 15 mil tanks. um, Mm. I just think it would be a lot of fun. Uh, And just a mess. I think it'd fill the table really nicely as well. If you're playing it on a, you know, you average six by four. Yes. It'll look stunning. Uh, That's what I found with 20 mil Uh, where you're scaling down. You've still got that, the same playing surface, Mm -hmm. but it just fills it. It just looks right. Your eyes adjust to it and think yeah that looks good that yeah totally. it looks as it should do yeah all of a um, sudden the uh the tiger on one end of the board really is scary yeah. and you go oh, yeah, yeah yeah that's good <laughs> let's do that so yeah but you wouldn't even have to change the ranges or anything no you um, wouldn't i don't no. no i like that idea yeah I'm looking at it going, yeah, that's a thing. And I've been talking about doing it for a while. And just one of these mm. days, I'm just going to crack and buy a box of like 10, 15 mil Shermans and paint them all yeah. up. And they should theoretically paint up faster. Theoretically. They do a bit. Uh, ask me at the weekend how long they take to do. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll put a big pile of them to get done. So I'll let you know how far I've gotten. They're unpainted at the moment. And I want to get them done by Friday. Good luck. So if I do, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right on. Yeah, well, I, it takes me forever to paint anything. So I look at these things yeah. going, maybe I could cheat and wash and do that and uh, dry brush. Uh. Um, but I end up, as soon as I start saying that, then I actually sit down to paint them, and then it takes me six years. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm desperately trying to get out of the, everything's got to be a top-end paint job and just get stuff done now. Yeah. Um, well, that's one thing, as I've said on this podcast before, our good friend Dave of War always says, um, something that's very basically painted and put on the tabletop looks a million times better than the thing that's half finished and never sees the tabletop. So, oh, um, yeah, so that's it, man. Just get it on the table and play some games and have some fun. I think that yep. really is uh, the best way of going. Well, it sounds like our Skype connection is once again, <laughs> sounds like we're at the ocean, Andy. Um <laughs> <laughs> Can you pass the sunblock? Well, you so, really invite me to your secret beach house. So. Yeah. Well, hey, you know. I'm not say no. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, we uh, we had to look for the amphibious landing, and uh, I I don't know. I'm just making stuff up at this point. Um. Hey, 
okay, if people want to find your book, if they want to find your commission painting service, by the way, I am a customer. I love it. Great stuff. Um, and find, you. you know, your podcast. Plug some stuff. Where can we find you? Uh, Facebook's the best place. Uh, a few bits and the hobby Facebook group. Uh, you can also chuck it into Google and you'll find the Libsyn feed up there probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find my blog, which is a little bit neglected, to be honest. Uh, I've got a load of reviews that I need to put up on there, but I haven't uh, about a year. Uh, but there's links to all the other pages on there, so it's quite a useful resource anyway. So if you look for Volupar Painting Services blog, mm-hmm. you'll find uh, a ton of stuff. Uh, I cover a fairly wide range of things on that. Uh, and if you just Google Volupar Painting Services as well, you'll find my Facebook group, uh, Facebook page, uh, which is usually the best way to get in touch or to have a look at stuff. I, I update that f- semi-regularly. So I've got pictures of most of the stuff I've painted on there. Um, I don't think there's a lot that I'm missing on there now. Uh, but yeah, those, those are the best bets for finding me. Nice. Perfect. Um, well, there you go. Uh, oh, and the book will be available through the Pen and Sword website and Amazon at some point later on in the year. But if you keep an eye on the blog and the Facebook page and everywhere else, <laughs> You won't miss it. <laughs> it will work right on. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And I will be sharing these links as, um, you know, as you release things, as things come about. Mm-hmm. And as you finish the next round of Germans for my German army, um, <laughs> I will be sharing those pictures again. And you can find pictures awesome. of the army that Andy painted for me already um, on WWPD. If you just type volley, fire, painting service review um, and WWPD, you will find that article and you cannot find me saying a a poor word. I love the models that Andy painted. They are (laughs) great and I'm looking forward to um, having a mortar and a machine gun team or two more and some more rifles so I can actually put them on the tabletop Um, because the Lord knows what I was thinking again when I sent him those original models. Sorry about that. But moving on. Hey, uh, guys, if you like this episode um, and you would like to give warm or cool feedback uh, of one kind or another, you can, of course, reach me at Land O Misfit Toys. Um, That is also the home of Cast Dice, the Cast Dice podcast. That's C-A-S-T Dice. If you're listening to this, of course, you probably know that already. Um, Again, thank you to everyone who gives us regular feedback, um, especially all those people that gave me awesome feedback about um, the the most recent Ghost Army podcast comeback and the Warlord official podcast. Um, It's just it's it's a little strange for me to have my voice in so many different places at the moment. Um, But it is wonderful that people have been so forthcoming with, um, you know, really warm feedback and constructive feedback, and I am taking it all on, and I'm hoping that um, that will just improve the quality of everyone's um, enjoyment. Anyway, um, thank you very much for listening. This has been Cast Dice. I am Old Man Morin saying good night, and may your dice roll hot, may your beverages be cold, but more than anything, I hope that the games that you are playing are fun. Another day right